remember that the uh, end of summer bash is after the service. It's in your family news bowls, and so check it out. Make sure you uh, make sure you be, you're a part of that this afternoon. Kind of hang out together. All right. So this morning we're kicking off a new series called By Design. All right. By Design. We've come a long way in our spiritual journey. Right, We were started out in bondage in Egypt, if you will, about three or four series back, and then we made our way to the promised land, and we went through different characters of the Bible and, and talked about all these things and ways that we can continue to grow in intimacy with God. So we've come a long way on our spiritual journey, and this, this, really this whole year, and I want to continue that theme. I, I really, really want to continue that theme. But now I want to harness that strength that you developed over the last well, months or a year or so, and that spiritual maturity and, and tell you how we're going to use that to impact our world. That's what this series is all about, okay? By design, how God designed you and how you can use those gifts, those talents, those abilities to impact the world around you. Now, if you've been a part of Grace Chapel for many, many years, a um, long time ago, I used this illustration before. So as you came in, you should have gotten a little pencil that says by design on it. All right. And each week I'm going to give you we're going to give you something different to remind you to kind of a reminder of the sermon and the things that we talked about. But when I was uh, 12 years old, when I, you know, growing up, I grew with my mom, I grew up with my mom in New York, and my brother grew with my father in Virginia, and my father was a contractor. He built everything from skyscrapers and nuclear power plants and a lot of houses. He was a, he was a developer and had built a lot of houses. So when I was 12 years old, I would go and I'd visit them for the summer. I'd go down on different trips, and every time I go down there, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought maybe we'll go fishing, or maybe we'll do this, or maybe we'll do that, and what we did every Every single time was build something. All right. If you guys know me, I can't really build things very well. All right. Now, I could, at 12, I couldn't build anything at all. So I go down there and they give me the job when we were building this house um, of carrying the wood from the road where the guy dropped the wood off up the hill to where the site was, the house site was. So I did that and we're working on it. And my father said in his, in his uh, imminent genius, he said, um, hey, you guys, I got to leave, but I want you to start the roof, putting the, the shingles on the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm thinking to myself, have you lost your mind, man? You know what I mean? I don't know. I, well, I, what are you talking about? I've seen a roof. Okay. I've never been up on one. I've never put shingles on one. But I figure my 14-year-old brother would know more than I did, so he must have put roofs on before, so we're, all, we're fine. Well, my dad leaves, and my brother, you know, he tells us kind of what to do. Just start right here. I'll put the first two up for you and put the shingles on. So we went up on the roof. Long story short on this end of the story, when my dad got back, we, we, were, we were up there thinking, this is awesome. We're real cool. We can do it, right? It looked really straight when you're looking right here. But when you're looking down from the road, it's, it looks like this. You know, the roof looks like this. And so that's the way the roof was, was pretty much put on. My father had a heart attack and he freaked out on us and everything and tore all the roof off. But hey, what do you expect from a 12 and 14 year old? But what happened, we were up on the roof. I'll never forget. 
We're up on the roof, and, my, and I, I wanted to be like my brother and my father, so I took a pencil, a yellow pencil, and I put it in my ear, because if you're a contractor or you're working that way, they all have pencils in the ears, right? Everybody has got a pencil in the ear. So I put a pencil in my ear, at least wanted to look the part. And I got up there, and I would draw on the roof for some reason, you know, make a little mark, whatever, and I put my pencil down, it would roll off the roof. I get down on the ladder, go down there, get my pencil, put it back in my ear. As soon as I took it up and, and I started marking it, put it down, it would roll off the roof. Well, I noticed my brother had a different pencil and his never rolled off the roof. He would just, you know, mark it and then he would put it down on the roof and it would just stay there. And I said to my brother, why doesn't your pencil, why are you never going down and getting your pencil? Why doesn't it roll off the roof? And he said, because it was designed that way. It was designed to be used up on roofs. And the roof we were on is pretty steep. And he said it was designed that way to make sure it doesn't roll off. It's a carpenter's pencil. and That's the way it was designed. And I never forgot that. That carpenter's pencil has a specific design and a specific purpose. The pencil was designed with a purpose just like us. That's what this series is all about. We were designed with a specific purpose in mind, with with that in mind. If you think about this series, I want you to to get in your heart that we, we should be trying each and every day to live out the way that God designed us. In the beginning... God created us to live a purpose-filled life in relationship to him and with others. That's why he created us, that we would live in relationship with him and then ultimately live in relationship with those around us. In the beginning, it was all good, right? It was all good. You know that slogan that, you know, life is good. You see that on T-shirts and they have different things. Well, that was originally God's idea, okay? It was good. God would, when he was creating, after the, each day, God would reflect on what he had made and he would say, it is good. And the second day, when he reflect, he would say, it is good. And then at the end of the week, he made, when he made Adam and Eve, he said, it is very good. It is very good. See, I don't think God does anything. I don't think, I know, God doesn't do anything in a half-hearted way. He does everything. Everything he does is with perfection. So God has designed us like your pencil. He does everything with a purpose. That pencil was designed and created for a specific purpose. You were designed and you were created for a specific purpose. So what is God's purpose in creating humans? What is God's purpose in creating me? What is God's purpose in creating you? One of the things that we can know is that God created us to love us. He created us to love us and to have fellowship with him. That was God's desire. Love is, you know, the idea of loving us, the kind of love that God has for us is almost overwhelming. See, God put Adam in the garden. And then in the evening, God would come and he would fellowship. He would connect with Adam. He loved Adam. He wanted to spend time with Adam. So he would go down and they would fellowship. And they, would ha- they had an intimate relationship. They had a close relationship. He loved Adam. It's important that we understand that love is God's most definitive quality. God doesn't just love us. God is love. 
God is love. Obviously, there are other attributes of God, but God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. Paul speaks about love. He says, he says, faith, hope, and love. He says, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love, that we would love each other, that we would love him. God designed us to love him and to love one another. In 1 Corinthians 13, it describes the kind of love that God designed and that God desires. That intimate love, a love that was created to impact the well-being of other people. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, go back and read that. It's designed, it's designed really to, for the well-being of others, that we would love others intensely. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that we should love others more than we love ourselves. That our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, right? That we should have that attitude of Christ, that we should love each other with all of our hearts and all of our, so- all of our souls. We should love each other, love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. And we'll talk more about that next week. We'll get into greater detail next week. God also created Adam and Eve to do something else. He created them to do good works. So they were, we were created to love God and we were created to love each other. But the Bible also says that God created us to do good works. In Genesis chapter 2, it, it, we see that God's plan from the very beginning was to put Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Right? But work came before the fall. Okay, work did not come after the fall. Work came before the fall. Work is a good thing. God designed us to do good works. So it came after the fall. We were created with a mission. Each one of us is created with a mission. God designed you, he designed you for a specific purpose with a mission. And the New Testament reinforces this concept. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, or we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared in advance for us, for you, for me, for all of us, to do good works. He, he, that's the way we're designed. We were designed to do good works, to impact the lives of people around us. God's plan is that we would live a life of good works. Now, ask yourself right now, ask yourself, am I living out that design? Am I living out? Do, do, do I think about that? Am I living out that what I just described to you, a life of good works? And if you say, well, I'm not really sure I am. OK, then that's something you have to. All right. You know, put it in the back of your mind and say, this is something that God has designed me to do. This is something I need to engage in. I need to invest in. I need to be living this out in my life because that is the way God has designed me. He designed you to fulfill a specific purpose. He designed you to live with purpose. Having purpose, think about this, having purpose gives us energy. It, it, it's, it motivates us, if you will, to get out of bed, right? It's, if, if you're doing something, if you know you're fulfilling your design, if you know you're fulfilling your purpose, it just motivates you to get up out of bed in the morning. It drives you. It's one of those things that drives you to fulfill the goals that you have in your life. This is what God has purposed me to do. This is what God has designed me to do. And it drives you to fulfill what God has placed in your heart to do to do those good works. It makes us, if you will, come alive. 
It gives us that relentless passion to fulfill the call that God has on on our individual lives. It, it, it gives you the the reason. It gives you a reason to take chances. I mean, we all we all we all live in our comfort zone, and what happens here is is that this kind of this kind of drive it pushes you out of your comfort zone. But we all have a comfort zone. I, I feel comfortable in certain areas. And, and what happens is when I know my purpose, when I know how I've been designed and what God has called me to do, it drives me outside of my comfort zone. It drives me to change what's necessary to change in my life so that I can fulfill what God has called me to do. So this is so important that we understand our purpose in life. If, if, if we don't have a purpose, if you take away, and this is what happens sometimes in school, this is what happens sometimes in our culture. When you take away someone's purpose, they have nothing and it brings feelings of hopelessness. When you tell someone that they just evolved, they just evolved in a random chance, you just evolved. And then you explain to someone that they should have self-esteem, you should feel good about yourself. Let's have self-esteem classes. If you get an intelligent student and you tell them that, they, that there is no God, there is no, if there's no God, there's no ultimate purpose and meaning to life, but somehow they should have great self-esteem. Why? And that's, they start asking that question. They start looking at themselves and there's no ultimate purpose and meaning or design in what they, and how they were created and what they're called to do. They're not looking at things from an eternal perspective. They're looking at things from a temporal perspective because they just evolved and they were just here by chance. And all of a sudden your mind starts to go, so how, why do I have purpose? You should feel good about yourself. Well, maybe. Having purpose is fundamental to living out God's original design. It's fundamental. So many people try to find purpose outside of God, but I'm telling you, like I just described, it cannot be done. You you, you can't do it. Without God, think about this, without God, the very definition and concept of purpose is lost. If there is no God, there is no purpose. There is no meaning to life. The concept of meaning and purpose and value and love are gone. They are meaningless concepts. People desire... Here, here's the reality. It, it, this is what... It proves the existence of God. People's desire for purpose and for significance proves the existence of God. Our search for identity, our search for significance inevitably, inevitably leads us back to our Creator. Worms don't sit around and contemplate, okay, the, the universe and their place in the universe. They don't think about purpose. They crawl through the ground. They do whatever God designed them to do. They do that. Human beings are created in the image of God. It's why you, it's why you, you sit around and contemplate why you exist and what is my purpose and what is my significance and, and what is my value and, and all those things You think through because you were created in the image of God and you know you're here for more than just to be planted on this earth for a period of time and then you live, you exist somehow, you just exist and then you die. Human beings know, know that they're here for more than that. And that leads us back to our, it should lead us back to our creator. God gave us purpose in the very act of creation itself. And we have to look at the original design in order to find our significance. 
We need to look back at the original design that God created us. We're not just here by random chance. He created us. Also, in God's original, original design, we were created to live in freedom. Think about this. We were created as human beings to live in freedom. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, it says this. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. This is important. This is so important. We were not designed to live in shame. We were not designed to live in shame. So many people suffer silently in shame and, and guilt. They're trapped. They're trapped in, 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 this, in this feeling of discouragement, in a life of discouragement. But see, shame and guilt were not a part of God's original plan. Living in shame and guilt, that was not a part of God's original plan. But it's something that Satan uses on so many people to keep them from, from fulfilling what God has called them to do. You'd, something happens in your past or something, whatever, something's done something to you or, or you've done something or whatever else and then all of a sudden that guilt and shame and, and Satan just uses it as kind of a weight around your neck to keep you from doing what God has designed you to do. We, were, we are designed to live in freedom and now with our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're not under law, we're under grace and anything we've done in the past, we can find freedom in Christ. From anything that we've done, we were not designed or purposed to live in guilt and in shame. People often feel trapped in that, that, in that feeling of shame and guilt because they have walked away. They have rejected God and his purpose for their lives. And so they're, that's what they're left with. You are surrounded, my friends. I mean, I said this in first service and I need to say it again. We are surrounded by people in, at school, at work, in our neighborhoods, where we interact at, at, the, at the coffee shop, at your favorite restaurant. You're surrounded by people who are feeling broken and empty, guilty and filled with shame. They, they feel that way. Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that only God can fill. We are surrounded with people who are feeling lost who are feeling discouraged, who look at the world and the chaos of the world and they can't make sense of it. And without God, they can never make sense of it. And so there's this depression and discouragement and we are responsible before God, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to bring the peace of God to each of those people. We are responsible for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with each of those people. God created those people to live in freedom and to dwell in His presence. They just don't know it. They were designed to experience joy and peace and beauty and contentment in a relationship with God. That's how they were designed. Before I gave my life to Christ, I, I tell you, I, I struggled with the way this world functioned. I really did. When I, was, when I was growing up, my teenage years, I really, really struggled with the way this world functioned. I knew, even though I wasn't, I kind of always knew there was a God out there somewhere. I never, I never bought into the, a, 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 the worldview that I was told. I kind of knew there was a God out there somewhere. I just didn't know, really know who he was. But I knew, I knew innately that this is not the way the world was supposed to function. 
A world filled with chaos and sorrow and loss and disease and, 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 and you know, this, this lawless kind of, this lawless kind of attitude, famine and war, all these things. That, that is not the way the world was designed to work. And it made me, as I watched this, as I watched it growing up, it made me feel ang- angry and then led to really feelings of hopelessness. But this is not the way that God designed the world, the, the world to be like. I knew that. I knew that. And as I gave my life to Christ, I realized that, that I, I could change the way I think. When I gave my life to Christ, my understanding, understanding about life and about the world and how things worked began to change. And I, and I realized that I could be a part of the change that the world needed. And that the church, the body of Christ, if I could be a part, if I could grow in my relationship with Christ and I could overcome and I could grow in spiritual maturity and I could help, I could impact the lives of others and I could be a part of the change that the world truly needed. And then you start thinking about, wait, what if, if I as an individual can do it, what then the church as a whole can have a tremendous impact on this world. We can recapture the church of Jesus Christ, the church can recapture some of God's original design of how we were truly designed. Now, I understand theologically, don't, don't get me wrong, that until the return of, of Jesus Christ, you're not going to get ultimate restoration. You're not, and I understand that. But we could remind ourselves and we could remind those around us of our original design, of what we were created to be. We could remind, you could be reminded yourself that, wait, I know the world is the way it is and it's in chaos and there's confusion and people are this, but I, through the, through the power of Christ and his blood covering me and the power of the resurrection, I could be part of the change this world needs. And if there was enough people who truly believe that in their hearts, then we could have an impact on the world around us. With God's help, with God's spirit, we could grow, we could each of us grow which is why we started out right in bondage, make our way to the promised land, right? And, and, and dwelling in the presence of God. And once we're in the presence of God, then you realize the power that you have. And when we realize that we could have a tremendous impact on this world, we could grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Hear me out here for a second. Jesus Christ himself said, when I leave you, you will do even through the Holy Spirit, you will do even greater things than you've seen me do. So here's the bottom line. Either he's a big fat liar, okay, or we are filled with tremendous power, the church especially, together, we, were filled, we are filled with tremendous power to impact the world around us. We act like sometimes that we're like on the losing end of this whole thing. And then we get like, well, the world really stinks and it's going to heck in a handbasket and there's nothing anyone can do, but that's not true. When Jesus returns, we get a new heaven and a new earth. That's ultimately going to be the solution to all these problems. But to surrender everything now, to somehow live like you in weakness, it's a sin. 
to live in weakness and think, well, well I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to lower my head, keep my head low so that no one notices me and I'll kind of get through this. And then when I go to heaven, I'll get in heaven and it'll all work out and it'll all be fine. That's fine and that's true. But lowering your head now and not living that God designed you what to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. What are those good works? You're loving other people. You're bringing people into the kingdom of God. Those are things that God has designed us to do here and now. Not sometime in the not when we're gone here and now. We are designed to be in the likeness of God. We could recapture some of what was lost. We could be more. Think about that. We can be more. That's what he's designed us to do, to be more. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, we would all agree that we all need more joy, right? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, you know, faithfulness and self-control. We, 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 we all need those things. We need more of those things. But we can, as we grow into the likeness of Christ, we can become more like him. And all of those things will be permeated out from our lives into the lives of other people. We can show people how to live that way. Can you imagine? This sermon really needs you to use your imagination but use it in a realistic way. Can you imagine a world where, where people experience God's love, where they, ex- where they were experiencing God's love and they tried not just to experience God's love, they were experiencing God's love and that gave them confidence, but then they tried to live out the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. They tried to be more loving and more kind and more patient, show more joy and peace all this forgiveness. Imagine a world where you had that, you had that, you had the foundation of the love of God in your life and you tried to become more like Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a world where we found our identity, where each one of us found our identity in Jesus Christ? Our identity in Jesus Christ and our significance and our security in our design purpose. That's where we find our significance. That's where we find our security. That's where we find our identity. That's where we find our value. We find it in a relationship with Jesus Christ and his designed purpose for our lives. But here's the deal. Because we live in a fallen world, because we live in this world, okay, once the world is fallen, we live in this world, instead of living out the abundance that I just described to you, what happens is we depend on others for our self-worth. We look to other people to tell us that we have some kind of value or that we have some kind of worth. Our identity is in what other people think about us. Let's just be honest here. And that that keeps us from doing the good works that God has called us to do. It keeps us from living out the design that God has called us to live out. It keeps us from fulfilling our purpose because we're more concerned about what someone might think about what God has called and designed us to do than God's design and purpose for our lives. And that, my friends, is just a, a... It's a recipe for mediocrity. It is a recipe... We lost our identity, our purpose, our significance when we lost our relationship with God. We as believers in Jesus Christ have asked Christ to come into our lives, but we're still living like we lost our purpose, our significance, and our identity. 
Now, you may be thinking, well, I've met people who said that they have purpose in their lives and they have meaning in their lives outside of God. Well, I've met them, too. But here's the reality. If you drill down below the surface with these folks, if you really drill below the surface, you will find that their significance and their purpose comes from what they do. They decide what success looks like. They get in a bubble and they decide, this is what success looks like. I live in this neighborhood. I drive this car. I do this thing. I fill this out. And then they decide that. And then they look to everyone else and they honestly, their significance comes from what you think about them and their success. And they're, and they're, they're, they're addicted to it. They don't even, they won't admit it, but that's the reality. That's the reality. It's their, their whole purpose and existence of life is what they do and their own definition of success. And then they live off the applause of others. When, oh, you're, that's, oh, you're a neighbor. Oh, your car. Oh, your, that's just, that is just absolutely. And they, they live off that. That is not freedom. And honestly, that isn't even true purpose. Take away the, seriously, take away the applause of others and their significance becomes an illusion. I can have purpose in my life as long as everyone sees what I'm doing and my significance and how important I am and the the way I've defined success. I love you with all my heart. Love you. I really do. I see you guys know that. But I don't find my purpose, my significance, my value in what you think of me. Or else I'd worry about what I say when I'm up here all the time and make sure I don't say anything that offends anybody. I love you, but I want to offend you sometimes. I don't mean to. My point is the word of God offends you. You That's the way you should think. You can love each other with all your heart and soul, love your neighbor as yourself, but your value, your identity, your purpose, your design shouldn't be based on what someone else thinks of you. How you live your life, what you say and how you act and the things that you do and the things that you stand up for in school or at work shouldn't be based on what you think the people in the cubicles around you are going to think. They should be based on how God has designed you. That is freedom. That is true freedom. Sadly, so many in the church live like so many other people in the world. That when the applause is taken away, their significance becomes an illusion. Here's the good news. The good news is that God has given us his power and his authority to recover some of what was lost. To, to, to take back, so I'm gonna, I, I need to set a little bit of quick foundation here. God, I said in the beginning, God created and it was good. God created everything, Satan created nothing. So my question is, why do we constantly give over to the enemy what doesn't belong to him? Why do we surrender so much to the enemy, enemy what doesn't belong to him? And I'm going, to, I'm going to describe this in greater detail in a couple of minutes, but I wanted, to lay, I wanted to lay that out. See, we don't have to live defeated, marginalized, meaningless, mediocre lives. That's not how we were designed, but that's how so many people live and as Christians. We live this defeated, like, oh, we could never, it's never going to happen. And, you know, we, we, you know, I know you say that from the, from the pulpit. I know you say that from the front. But the reality is this is never going to change and this is never going to change and this is never going to change. And, I, and if we have that mentality, you're right. Things aren't going to change. 
But if you start thinking about the church of Jesus Christ and how he's designed us and why he's designed us, and we start using the gifts that he's given us, and he said, you can do even greater things you've seen me do, all of a sudden your, that's impossible, it's never going to happen kind of words, well, now they're coming to conflict with God. We can live out our purpose. We can live purpose-filled lives through the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And we can impact this world by living out designed, purpose-filled lives. We can impact this world by living out those lives to the power and authority of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, it says this, Listen, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. These are not just words, they're realities. But here's my, here's my concern. We're not living out these realities. I said in the beginning, there are people, Pascal said that, that, that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that only God can fill. How are they going to have that filled if we don't have the courage to reach out to our friends in school and invite them to youth group or to church? How are they going to fill that vacuum if we're not going to share the love of Jesus Christ with them? How are the people at work going to overcome the struggles they face with losing their job or with their wife or husband getting cancer and how they're dealing with that or with their children and the struggles they face there? If they, they don't have any answers, they don't have Christ. And so they're flailing and they're miserable and they're depressed and they're discouraged. And then right next to them is someone who has the answers, but we don't give the answer because we're afraid of what they might think of us. We need to, we need to believe in Romans 8.37. No, we are in all these things and all these things in all. Listen, I love, you know how I love all, okay? These, these giant sweeping phrases. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not through our power. It is through his power. We can experience fullness of life through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can have that complete and utter fullness of life. We can further the kingdom of God through the power of Jesus Christ, right? Think about this. We can redeem the marketplace, we can redeem the government. We can redeem education. We can redeem the systems of this world. And that's where people start going, so he's just getting all worked up. That's, he's, that's all he gets. Pastor just gets all worked up. I'm going to go back to what I said before. We can redeem the marketplace. Why do you think we started self-sustaining enterprises? Why do you think we have that work on purpose? Why do you think we're doing these things? Because we believe we can redeem the marketplace. And I'm going to come back to it. God created everything. Satan created nothing. But we, we, will, just, we will just lay down and surrender what doesn't belong to the enemy instead of having the courage and the strength to take it back in the power of Jesus Christ. Why can't we, which we have, invite all the businesses along this corridor here to the Orca Center and do business training for people who are... These businesses, what most businesses go under before three years. And they're struggling and no one's helping them. They don't know their numbers. They don't know marketing. They had a dream. They had a vision. They started a business. Now they're struggling. They're losing money. And the church has an answer for them. We can help them build their business. When you help someone do that, you earn the right to be heard. And they ask the question, why would you do this? And then you have to have the courage and boldness 
to not worry about what they're going to think about your answer, but to give the answer, to speak the truth in love. God is calling the church to restore some of what was lost. He is calling us to bring hope to the hopeless and strength to those who are weak and those who are weary, whether it's in business or it's in school or it's in the home or it's in the neighborhood, whatever the case may be, that has been, that is our calling of God. It is time for us to use the power that he has given us to help set people free from their bondage. It is our responsibility and it is time for this church, for Grace Chapel to do that. God doesn't just want us to experience, you and I as individuals, to experience personal freedom. But he wants each one of us to to help others find that personal freedom as well. God, God, yes, wants us to, he wants to see individual transformation in our lives. Yes, that is very true. But he also wants us to help other people find that transformation as well. That's our responsibility. That's what God has called us to do. He wants Grace Chapel to be an agent of transformation so that we can advance the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our nation, and around the world. That's what God has called us to do. If you look at the size of the church and you look at the, the finances of the church, we our footprint is so far beyond our finances, it's unbelievable. Is it because we're so great? We're so smart? We're so, no, it's because we as a church are open to doing things that are beyond maybe our capabilities. Maybe we actually believe that God can do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine. And he has a cattle on a thousand hills. And whatever we come up with to do, we're going to try to do it, even if the money's not in the bank, because God is the one who can drive it forward. God is the one that can work through us. That is what God is calling us to do, calling us to be. That is God's plan for us. I don't know about you, but that is my desire and that is my hope. And I will not settle for anything less. I will not settle for anything less. You know, here's the deal. I'm 55 years old, right? And so many people think, well, now you're 55, you're going down the other side of the hill. I'm going to tell you something. I am just getting started, for goodness sake. I'm smarter than I was when I'm 25 years old, right? Yeah, I mean, you're 55, you're 65, you're 75. If you think you're 55, 65, 75, and you're getting away with just kind of hanging out in this church, you're making a terrible mistake, all right? You're just getting, some of us are just getting started. You have more wisdom. You have more spiritual maturity. You have, you have discernment. You have things that other people who are maybe younger don't have. You need to build into those folks. You need to be discipling other people. You need to be using the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you to reach out to a lost and hurting world. And don't give me your 55 or 65 or 75 and you've done your time. You're, if you're still here, you're not done. You're not finished. I mean, Abraham, it was Caleb, right? You know how much I love Caleb. You know why one of those stories, it says Caleb, Caleb was 85 year old, years old, and he said, I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then, 40 years ago. And then what did he say? Go find a bunch of wimpy kind of people that I could pick a fight with. No, he said, give me, give me the mountain up there. Give me the hill country up there where the giants live. 
The giants that everybody else was afraid of. Forty years later, the guy still wants to go and fight giants, okay? My friends, I can speak for myself. I haven't even begun to fight. I haven't even... I'm just getting started. You're all just getting started. No matter where you are in your life, God can use you. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus at 55 and 65 and 75, whatever old you are, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We need to turn away from the lives that have been holding us back. Some of you need to just seriously turn away from the lives that have been holding you back. If we want to live out our purpose and our design, what we need to do is repent. We need to ask God to forgive us for living in spiritual weakness. We need to ask God to forgive us maybe for living a life of sin. And we need to ask God to forgive us for holding on to a life that may be holding us back. Something, some, of the, some of you are living lives where you're listening to what I'm saying and something's stirring in you, but you have, you're still in bondage, but you've gotten far enough away, but there's a chain that's holding you, and it, it just kind of, it won't let you go any further. You've got to cut the chain. You've got to start, you've got to let go of that life that may be holding you back, that has a hold on you. Let it go. Move away from that. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. I love this verse. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Separate as far as the east from the west. Whatever you have done in the past, God is saying, repent of those things. Let go of what's holding on to you and I will wipe out those sins. And listen, he says that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling depressed. You're feeling like, like guilt ridden. Whatever you're feeling. And God is saying, this, you need to let go of those things. You need to repent of those things. Repent of them. Ask for forgiveness. And he says, then times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Repentance is associated with refreshing that can only come from God. Repentance, my friends, is associated with a refreshing that can only come from God. And that's what we need, right? We need a refreshing. That's why I want to start out this series. I want to start the series with a new beginning, with a do-over, with a refreshing that can only come from God. We all need to stop. We all need to turn. And we all need to walk the path that God has designed for us to live. That's what needs to happen. And you need that new refreshing. You need, you need that newness. We need to start living out God's truth. We need to start renewing our minds and readjusting our minds. We need to identify the lies that we're living out. Some of you are still living out lies that have been inflicted upon you years ago. We need to start living out the truth and stop living out those lies. I want you to bow your heads with me, but I want you to keep listening. You need to identify those lies that you're living out and you need to hold on to the truth. How many of us who are here want and need spiritual refreshment? Think about that. How many people in this room need spiritual refreshing? How many of us need to feel, to feel brand new? Like when you first gave your life to Christ and you had that fire in you. But it's somehow, it's just kind of smoldering. There's smoke, but there's really no fire. How many of us need to feel brand new where God can just light us on fire? How many of us are tired of living in fear and shame and guilt? 
When we know that through the power of Jesus Christ, the word of God says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How many of us are tired of living in fear and guilt and shame? How many of us feel the need to break free, honestly, from our own self-inflicted shell that we placed ourselves in or soar beyond the limitations placed on us by others, those around us? Enough is enough. It's time to start living again. You need to say that in your mind right now. God, it is time for me to start living again. It is time for us to start living our life by design. And God, that's what we pray. We pray that we would each live our life by design not by the applause and concern of the applause of others, not by what anybody else thinks, not by the wisdom of this world, not by, not by anything this culture may have to offer us, but Lord God, that we would start individually and as a church living our life by design. God, we love you and ask for your help in that endeavor. We pray, dear God, as we hear this song, that it would echo in our minds and our hearts that that, that idea, that truth of living by design and being refreshed and being renewed God that's what we would take with us in the days the weeks the months the years to come that's what we would remember from this day pray that you would take that simple illustration of a pencil Lord we put it in some place where we can constantly look at it and be reminded of who we are we are more than conquerors because of what you've done for us and the way you love us in Jesus name Amen